Welcome to Is It Worth It, the self-worth podcast where we explore how different areas of our life affect our self-worth and how to build and maintain our sense of self-worth. My name is Roshni and I am a self-worth life coach. I help my clients discover their worth so they can stop holding back and start taking control of their lives full force. You can find my other free content under the name Beti Grew Up, that's B-E-T-I Grew Up, on Instagram and YouTube, and you can sign up for my free newsletter at BetiGrewUp.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, um, to another episode of Is It Worth It? Um, Today, I'm actually so excited because I'm joined by Naushin from the Self-Worth Edit podcast. So um, we just connected recently, but I freaked out when I found out there was another South Asian person talking about self-worth and like our community. We obviously had to do a collaboration together, so I'm so glad that we're here and that we're doing this. Um, Do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Yeah, sure. Yeah, just as excited to connect with you for sure. You know, this is a topic that needs to be discussed more in our communities. So very excited to be here for this conversation. Um, Like Roshni said, my name is Nosheen. I'm here based in Chicago. And I recently launched my podcast, The Self-Worth Edit, which is all about self-love and mental health and spirituality. And it's really based in conversations that I was hearing that were really helping me that were largely coming at me from white content creators. So it's been so amazing to be able to create this space and bring more of these conversations into our community. Awesome. Yeah, I have been loving your podcast. I think there's so much power in like the idea of like a specific, like being really specific in your own journey and your own story and your content. And like the more specific you are, the more relatable you are. And I feel like that's so true with your podcast, like hearing just like a sentence there or a snippet of how you used to think. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's like my whole life. I relate to that so much. So um, definitely if you're listening to this podcast and you love it, you should definitely check out her podcast. I promise you're going to enjoy it as well. I love that line you just said about the more specific you are, the more relatable you are, because It is something I have to remind myself of pretty often because I don't know what it's like for you, but sometimes I get in my head and it's so easy for us to think I'm the only one with this lived experience. Like everyone else is fine. Everyone else must have high self-esteem and great self-love practices and they're probably born with it. And am I pathetic for taking so long, like I'm in my early thirties to figure this out and I love what you said there because when I started the podcast, it really was about creating what I needed and that wasn't available. And so with all the millions and billions of people in the world, someone else has got to relate. I really love that line you said. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I, I needed my own content too in the world. And like, that's how it started even with like my Instagram and like feeling comfortable taking pictures. Like I hated anyone taking a picture of me, like my entire childhood growing up, like I just hated it so much. But then even in trying to find stock photos for my blog, I talked about this on a different episode, but I was like, I can't find any people of color. I can't even find, even if they're not Indian, like I can't find anyone that just isn't white in a stock photo. And I was like, well, I don't want that to be reflective of my brand because that isn't me necessarily, at least not in all my imagery. So I was like, let me just start taking my own pictures and start setting up like the lifestyle shoots that I want to see. And like, I'm still like very young in like photography and setting up all of that stuff. But yeah, it's so true. Like that 
you have to just create what you want to see. But then by doing that and by starting this journey, I've met with so many people who reflect the same ideas back to me. And so now I'm like, I had to kind of take the leap. And now in doing that, I've found my community online. Isn't it funny how that happens? Like, it's so true because when I first had the idea to do this and venture into the space, one, I was overcome with the thought that I'm not brown enough to say that I'm going to create this for Desi women, even though my whole problem was I'm brown and no one's talking about the shit that I'm going through. And so that was the layer. And now that I'm in this world, it's like, wait, there are fellow South Asian women doing these freaking incredible things that I never would have guessed or wasn't hearing about in the more mainstream podcasts or media that I was consuming. And it really is just about peeling the layers off of that onion and finding them and then bringing it all to light for sure. Exactly. Yes. I love that. So kind of speaking on that a little bit, I know it's hard to say it concisely, but can you talk to us a little bit about like your self-worth journey or maybe kind of where that process even started? You know, the first part of this and of so much that I have learned in the past couple of years has been awareness. Mm-hmm. And for so long, I had no idea I had low self-worth. Mm-hmm. And people who knew me wouldn't have told you I had low self-worth because I mean, now I can spot it so plainly. I can look back at my actions and my thought patterns. And I know in retrospect that I was in it. But for me, it really was listening to other podcasts that made me start to question my surroundings. And my surroundings, both based on, you know, my actual physical environment based on the narratives in my own brain space, based on my relationships with other people, were were indicating my low self-worth, right? Those were all my indicators, but I was missing them because I didn't realize what they were until I started becoming aware based on conversations I was hearing on other podcasts and different topics. And really for me, a lot of those podcasts, like the themes were spirituality and talking about people at the soul level And when I started to view myself that way, for me, that was what made it easier to view myself more objectively um, and then kind of wake up to, one, my low level of self-worth and two, what I could do about it. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I completely agree with it. The idea of like not knowing you have low self-worth because I was the same way. I was like, you know, I... I see myself as confident or I can list off, you know, skills or strengths that I have. And yes, like I'm nervous about a lot of things or, you know, I get anxious, but, you know, I can still see like the value that I have or certain things about me that are positive. And I think that's so important in this journey of self-worth. It's like, we sometimes think that like, if you were to have low self-worth, then everything about yourself would be negative or you wouldn't be able to be happy at all. Or, you know, just all these kind of black and white, like notions of looking at the experience, but it's like when you really sit down and think about like the ways in which behaviors manifest or certain patterns happening over and over, um, even like the example of people who describe themselves as like really nice and really generous, but then a lot of times like they complain about being taken advantage of. And it's like, I've been there too. I was one of those people where it's like you're people pleasing or you're not setting your own boundaries because you're looking for that 
dose of self-worth from someone else. And, you know, A, no one else can ever sustain that idea for you forever. But like it also, yeah, it just, it makes it harder to recognize those patterns in yourself because you feel like everything has to be torn down and your life has to be in complete shambles to admit that, that to yourself. But it's like, no, you can have a beautiful life and people that you love and people that support you and still be struggling with the manifestation of things like people pleasing or, you know, not being able to set boundaries and the different ways in which that shows up in your life. Yes. Yes. We get stuck on the surface level, right? And what are we getting on the surface level? We're getting the ideals that we've grown up with about this is what makes a beautiful life. So if you have these things, you're doing well. And if you show up for yourself in these particular ways and you, you know, openly stand up for yourself when someone's, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. yes, then you're doing fine. You're a fine human being. It's not until you turn inward that you really kind of start to peel back the layers. And really for me, I don't know what it felt like for you, but for me, it felt like such an awakening. Like I Mm -hmm. felt like I was being shaken up and it was like, oh, wait, reminder, this is my life. I actually get to have a lot more choice and agency in the state of things. And I felt like for so long, I was just following what I was told was right and good and correct. And it's not that those things were necessarily not right and good and correct for someone, but I hadn't really ever paused to go inward and really think about what it is that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's so true in the South Asian culture as well. Like there's that checklist, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And again, like you said, those things aren't inherently bad. Like getting married isn't bad. If you want to have kids, that's not bad. Getting, going to grad school and being really educated in whatever field you care about, that's not bad, but it's the expectation and the, like the the reprimanding that you get when you don't follow that checklist along with like the reasoning for pursuing that checklist, you know, because so many of us, like we're taught it's the only way and it's how you do life. And so we kind of like migrate to using that checklist as a determination of our self-worth, especially in the South Asian community. And that is what we pick up in gossip, even if it's not about you, when you listen to what people are saying about other people, whether they share your problems or not, you learn this is wrong. Getting divorced is wrong or you know, X, Y, Z, the list goes on. But it's like, even from, even if it's not directly pertaining to your life, there's so much like negativity or so much structure that you pick up on within the culture that it makes you feel like you have to do this list to achieve your worthiness. And then even after that point, it makes it, it presumes that at that point, you'll never have to work on your self-worth or you'll never have to work on your self-love because you have these things and that should be enough to make you happy. And that's almost kind of goes into the conversation of like mental health and even things like depression. It's like, oh, well, you have all this in your life, so just don't be depressed. And it's like, that's not how it works, you know? And it's the same thing with like, it almost makes you feel like if you have achieved everything on this checklist, then you're not allowed to be unhappy or you're not allowed to have struggles. And that's another just like false dichotomy that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, lately I've been thinking so much about this concept that like 90 to 95% of our experience is in the subconscious of our way of being, of our way of thinking is actually subconscious. And Mm -hmm we're all sort of running mostly on autopilot, quote unquote. And when you think about 
you know, our communities and our parents, it has been that, and there's been a reason for it, right? Like much of them, much of their lives has been in survival mode. And so when you're living in that state, it's really hard to say, let me pause and go inward. And what do I really want? You sort of do have to take the example from the external and build a life around that. There's been very little opportunity for many of the older people in our communities, I would say, to reach the point of self-actualization on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I'm super, I like very much nerd out about because that's like my goal because of the sacrifices that the generations before me made, right? But it is when you are just living at that surface level and on autopilot, all of those narratives and mindsets and reasonings and things that have gone into have been like layered onto this ideals. So like you said, getting married isn't necessarily a bad thing, but in our culture, especially it comes with, here's the list of reasons why you need to get married. Here's why you're wrong. If you don't, here's why you should be happy if you do, no matter what. Right. And these are just ingrained, like this is the way it is and you don't question it. Mm -hmm. And now I think people are starting to question it. And when you do that, there's a sort of reckoning. There's a sort of reckoning that comes with it. And it's, hard to face and it's really hard to go back from it once you're awakened to it, right? You can't really go back into that prior state of living mostly from the subconscious state, accepting what you're given at face value. And then you're, you start to question and you have the opportunity, I guess what I'm getting at is you have the opportunity to recognize low self-worth if it's there and to do something about it. Whereas not everyone in our communities or in previous generations has had the chance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's like everything, even whether it's like individual coping mechanisms or like generational or cultural, like coping mechanisms or mentalities, like that has all been born for a reason. Even like our, even our aptitude for like colorism and things that are clearly wrong, like that came out of a survival instinct for what was going on at the time, you know? So like different things, like even if they're completely wrong or, you know, quote unquote backwards or whatever, like it's been, it was to serve a purpose. And so to even be able to survive like those harsh, harsh conditions was massive for us to be able to get to this point. But like, that's what I love about talking about the South Asian culture and self-worth together. It's like, we finally have this opportunity to break those generational cycles. And so we really, as a collective generation, are finally in that place of, yeah, like being able to thrive instead of just survive. And that now allows us to not just do this work for ourselves, but for everyone that has come before and for everyone to come later, you know? And so like, we don't always allow ourselves that process of mourning. Like we're like, oh, I messed up or I'm wrong because I have low self-worth or you, you know, you have that awakening realization and then you feel like, oh, I have to fix this immediately. But it's like, no, you're allowed that time to mourn. You're allowed that time to mourn that you didn't learn this, you know, younger in your life that other people in your family or other generations didn't have the chance to learn that at all. You know, like you're allowed to feel sad like it's okay to feel that sadness but then you have to realize that the work is bigger than just yourself it's about so much more and that I think fuels that continued pursuit of that growth and breaking those barriers um oh sorry go ahead I was just gonna say even that even giving yourself permission to grieve that speaks to your degree of self-worth right mm -hmm. Because otherwise we, we can get down on ourselves and say, oh, well, 
I need to just put up with it because my parents went through so much. We say this, right? I don't need to go to therapy. My parents look what they went through and they're not going to therapy. So even just getting to a point where you can accept, yes, it is okay to grieve what you didn't have. Don't dwell in it Mm -hmm. and then move forward. To me, that speaks of your level of self-worth to be able to make that point. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Um, So talking about like learning and unlearning lessons, um, what was the biggest lesson that you feel like you've either learned or unlearned? You can do one for both as well um, in your like understanding of commitment. Self-sacrifice is such a, so ingrained in us, Mm -hmm. right? Self-sacrifice is considered good, is considered correct, is considered respectable, right? In our community. And so I did, I did repeatedly self-sacrifice and it felt like garbage, Mm -hmm. but I still did it because it also felt good to a part of me, the part of me that had been conditioned to feel like that's how I draw my validation. I self-sacrifice. I get married before I turn 30. I show up in these kinds of ways. I keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying in situations that are causing me harm because that's what we do. We sacrifice ourselves for our image. Mm -hmm. We sacrifice ourselves for traditional values. And that is what makes a good life. That is the biggest BS that I have thankfully unlearned and broken free of. Yes. Like, thank goodness. Thank goodness for all of the hard stuff that I had to go through to get to that point because there's no going back. And it was hard. It did not feel good to learn that lesson, but it feels good to live in the aftermath of it. Yes. Ooh, I love that. That's such a good line. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like, I really kind of came across that same idea in uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks about the trickster versus the martyr. And I love I that like, book. Yes. And I, I made a video on this concept too, because I was like, I was the martyr. Like, And sometimes I can still recognize that part of myself in, in me where it's like, you feel like you should be rewarded for doing things the harder way, or, you know, you should be, and it's like, there's no rewards being given out for how you go about doing something, especially if the end product is the same, you know? So why do I feel like I have to sacrifice so much of myself? And it's like, I definitely learned that in the South Asian culture. And then I also learned that in academia, like in, you know, college and just uh, professors being really dedicated. And there's such an idea of like, you know, putting like overvaluing how much work or how much time you put into something or how like the lack of sleep sleep you get is like something you brag about and just all these different factors of self-sacrifice like it kept being reinforced to me in my entire life like that's the best way to do things that's how you achieve the most that's you know and I just identified with that so much but then I realized like yeah I, I why am I purposely making life harder for myself especially when I can still achieve the thing that I want in the end but and so even in this week I've been like why do I stress myself out on a daily like schedule like if I don't stick to things to a T I freak out even though I know they're getting done and it's like I had to realize so much of that was just ingrained like things have to be done a certain way and they have to be difficult and that is what's going to earn me merit more than the thing just being done and like yeah that's so powerful to unlearn that because 
well, I mean, you can speak for how it has affected you in terms of like your understanding of commitment a little more. But for me and like my journey with that, it's helped me like commit to things over a longer period of time because I'm not so focused on like, it has to be this difficult and I have to like rush and I have to like stress myself out over it. Like I feel more comfortable in working on it and knowing that it's going to be there and knowing that I trust myself to return to it in the time that I need to, rather than putting that, like making it feel like a burden to myself. Like why was I burdening myself for things that I should be enjoying? And so that's, that was a huge piece of the lesson for me. I love that so much. And I really resonate with it. And it's something that I am practicing right now too, in the sense of I want things, especially things that I start off doing because they're fun for me and I'm interested in and, you know, of my own choosing to feel easy and to feel in flow. And I want to work smarter, not harder, right? Like the busyness, the glory that comes with being busy is so real and it is so not fulfilling and so not serving us in any kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I really like what you said about it allows you, it almost gives you stamina to commit to projects longer when you don't get on yourself with that sense of urgency that's coming from where? It's coming from conditioning, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's false. (laughs) Like that stuff is not actually real, Mm -hmm. as real as it feels. It's all the mental traps we fall into. Exactly. Absolutely. What, what does healthy commitment look like to you? The first thing that comes to my mind is when you say that now, which is bizarre because it would not have been the first thing that came to my mind, like even five years ago or even two years ago is I think about my commitment to myself. And so I think healthy commitment to me starts with healthy commitment to self and prioritizing commitment to self. Which is like so polar opposite to everything I've learned, thought about, practiced in the first three decades of my life. Mm-hmm. It's laughable to now like say it so easily and with such conviction and to feel it. Um, you know, I did I just did an episode on re-identifying my personal core values. And mm-hmm. that is now my top core value is being in alignment with myself, being committed to myself, checking in with myself. And to me, any healthy commitment outside of me is an extension of me, right? So any healthy commitment to another project or to another person does not betray my core commitment to myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I would say. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I I guess in a similar sense, like I've been learning almost the same lesson really my entire year for most of 2020 was crafted around what's my to-do list what do I urgently need to get done blah 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 and obviously I know content is a cycle but I have had phases where I'm coming out with you know new weekly content but I still feel rested and rejuvenated enough but I just was creating my entire life around what's the next thing to do what's the next thing to cross off my list that I wasn't even giving myself internally time to congratulate myself for putting out like a a piece of content that I had elevated from the last time I'd worked on something similar or what I've realized now is like when I look at my calendar I schedule my rest time first I I like literally look at my priorities and say above everything my rest my time for fun my time for active and passive self-care. These are things that I care about before I care about my work. So I'm going to decide 
when, you know, I'm taking a half day or what, you know, I'm doing on the weekends, or even if I'm not deciding, you know, what I'm doing for fun, I, I carve out that time to say, this is my white space, this is sacred. And then I'm going to, you know, look at everything else and kind of and get it to fit in according to my timeline and what I really need to like show up as my best self. But in terms of like a romantic relationship, it's kind of a similar lesson. Like I had to learn how to receive love. And I kept thinking like, oh, it's something, you know, wrong in me being a partner, or I, maybe I, I am with the wrong person, or I'm, you know, going through something and I need to separate myself. Like all these thoughts would constantly go through my mind. But the biggest shift that happened is when I said, no, you know what, I'm okay receiving love and it not being a transactional thing. Like I felt like sometimes if, you know, my partner does something nice for me, I have to figure out exactly what to do back so that, you know, they feel like I am doing something nice too. And, and that's nice in some ways to make sure that there's a give and take, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be a one for one transaction. And there were little ways that kind of the people pleasing and the need for worth and validation were creeping into my relationship. And I had to realize like, you can, like you deserve love and you deserve to be able to sit in love and have love like be there for you and feel like you can kind of enter that cocoon without feeling like you have to give more back or like you have to deplete yourself for some reason and in that sense of commitment that was my biggest lesson as well was like be okay sitting in it be okay receiving I was not okay receiving I was only okay giving and that's a huge marker for so many people who struggle with low self-worth Oh, I love that so much. I feel like people are really going to relate to that too. And there are a couple of things I love about that. One, I really like that you're making it very clear that this applies to every part of your life. So it applies to your work. It applies to how you show up in school and in your business. And it applies to your relationships. And it really, like there's one thing at the core of all of that. And it is up-leveling your own self-worth and you know, your own self-value and putting yourself first. And that has a domino effect on all the other parts of your life. And it's not a selfish thing. It's not like, okay, out of everything in my life, like I have to be the queen of it all and I have to be on top of it all. It's really like, let me pour into myself first mm -hmm. so that I'm not running on empty and not pouring emptiness into other parts of my life that I really care about. I also really like this piece about being able to receive and it makes me think of receiving compliments. Like if someone's like, okay, how do I start making the shift? Because chances are we've all done this. Tell me if you, tell me if this resonates for you, but someone gives you a compliment. Oh no, Sheen, I love your earrings today. And then it's like, quick, let me body scan this person. Like, what can I compliment about them? Oh, thanks. Like cute haircut. Like, just like instantaneous needing to give. And there's nothing wrong with giving compliments. Give them. It's a beautiful thing to give compliments. But if you're giving it as a transactional way, like you said, is it really so fulfilling, right? Like, and there's value in just being able to say, thank you with a smile. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. That's so nice. I appreciate it done. There's like, here's a little tactical, practical thing that someone can try out mm -hmm. to kind of get into that receiving mode. I love that advice. Yes. That's such a good way. And I noticed myself doing the exact same thing on Instagram comments, especially, or like when someone would say something nice about my content or something, I would feel the need to like 
check out their page if they were also a creator or feel the need to like follow them back or feel the need to even time-wise like this even if I'm doing something else or in the middle of running an errand and I see like a comment on my YouTube video or, or, you know, someone shouting me out on Instagram or something, I'd have to like stop in the middle of the aisle or wherever I was and like respond back. And it's like, where was that urgency coming from? I felt like if I didn't respond to it in that moment, if I didn't soak up like the compliment in that moment and say something and do something back, that it would just vanish and it would go away. And it was like, I was chasing that like weird, like almost dopamine high of getting that, but it, it's like, it didn't, I still also felt like I had to follow it up with something else. And it was that sense of urgency. I think that's such an important piece that you mentioned earlier that is tied into like, it's like, if you feel that immediate sense of urgency, I dig into that a little bit, do some journaling or ask yourself some questions about where it could be coming from, because I promise there's going to be some tie in there to like a need for validation or a need for, you know, getting something out of someone else because you feel like you can't give it to yourself. So I, I, I love the advice that you gave and I would um, just add on to like journal about that sense of urgency too, if anyone feels that. Yeah. It goes back to the awareness piece, right? Like I love that you said, when you notice this in you start noticing things in yourself, like Mm -hmm. start noticing a pattern. Oh, I always do this. Oh, this is a reaction. Oh, my heart like beat is racing right now and take a breath, take a beat, journal it out. Like but that's the thing. That's how you get into awareness mode and out of autopilot mode. And once you're in awareness mode, you have choice. You can decide how you're going to act. You can change the things that you've been doing that are not serving you. A hundred percent. Yes. And actually this just reminded me, um, when you said the thing about your heart beating fast, I actually just heard on a coaching call. I don't know too much about like chakras and all of that, but someone was talking about like the heart chakra and how like a lot of times when you have like a really tight back or tense shoulders, which I tend to have a lot, it, they, they talk about kind of an energy block in that you're giving from the heart, but you're serving and serving and giving and giving, and you're not welcoming that flow. You're not receiving. And so the heart chakra, they were saying kind of works in two ways where you, you give like, you give kind of from your back, but then you like I don't know, something about how it like is a circle. And so you give out, but then it also has to come back to you. And like that tension or that like need to like kind of scrunch up and like hover, it it can kind of refer to that block of feeling depleted and feeling like you're burning out and you're giving so much and you're just not able to welcome it back. And what's interesting, I kind of talked about this earlier, but there are also those people that feel like they are always giving and not always getting, but they only talk about it when they're at that point of feeling absolutely depleted. And it's like, we all would feel that way if we were in that situation. You know, it's not that something's wrong with you for feeling that way. It's that you're just not setting boundaries early enough, or you're not, you know, used to noticing the patterns that show up in your personality and in your way of giving you signs of burnout or of, you know, depleting yourself too much and needing that dose of like self-care or self-love. Yeah. Let's also break that down for a second because it's something that you said earlier about martyrdom and it's a concept I've thought about too. It goes back to it being considered so noble, but it isn't really because you get to that point, right? Where you're not doing things for other people out of love. You're doing things out of resentment and obligation and duty. And then you're getting mad at the people, right? When you really get pushed to your limits, whether externally or internally, you're frustrated with them, you're mad at them. 
because you're not getting what you're giving. Well, who's telling you to give so damn much and to not take anything for yourself? Like that also doesn't serve your relationships and the people in your life if you're now just coming at them with all your service, but it's not coming from a place of you first fulfilling yourself. And so it really is. And I say this because especially when we've grown up with the concept of self-sacrifice, it's really hard to automatically jump to from now on, I'm putting myself first. But if you can anchor it and reframe it in a way that actually I'm not just putting myself first, I am taking everyone, all of my loved ones into account by first serving me, I'm serving them. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's this, it's the classic like airplane mask analogy, but it's so true because no one, like <laughs> we've all had the experience of like a teacher or a mom who's just so over it and so burnt out, but like they have to be there and they have to deal. And it's like, you know that like, you're not really helping us. Like you're not giving us like a, a deep, like heartfelt life lesson that's going to change. Like we're all tired here and none of us are getting anything out of it. You know what I mean? And so it's like the same thing. If you really care about that person, you want to show up as your full self. And for that to be your dynamic, for that to be your communion, when you have that, they will understand and respect you needing to pour that love into yourself. And that was a huge thing for me too, in connection to the receiving love piece. It's not just in romantic relationships, just like you said, with compliments, you have to be able to receive love and support from friends or from you know, even if it's new relationships online, like in a business sense, like I have such a growing community of people, other coaches or people doing kind of adjacent work. And I'm now able to like receive compliments on my work and give them compliments, like when I genuinely want to, you know, and so you need that ability and the capacity to receive love when you can't give it to yourself. Like sometimes like we like as much as we're trying to give to other people, we're trying to give that same love back to ourselves. And if you are depleted, you have to be able to receive the support from your community or from your family or your partner, whoever is around you that is supporting you because sometimes you can feel so depleted that you can't even give back to yourself. And that's okay. That's what a support system is there for. And that's what they're there to remind you of. But if you aren't able to receive that or take it and sit with it, then you're never going to fill that part of you back up because you keep saying, oh, they did this. So now I have to do this again for them. And you're caught in that cycle. They really go hand in hand in terms of you need to the whole piece about being able to receive. Okay. How do you get to the point of being able to receive? Oh, you raise your self-worth. Okay. What does that look like? So you need to start by pouring into yourself. It all comes back to that. And you need to start finding value in yourself, worth in yourself, which is, I'll, I'll take back the word value and worth because worth is an inherent right. You exist as a human being on planet earth. Your life has worth right? And once you get to that point, you can build on it and you can layer on it. And really what you need to start doing is start challenging the negative narratives that come up that you hold about yourself, not dismissing them because it's not going to work, right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you the next time you think, wow, I really messed up and I'm a terrible person. And if that's like, your usual way of talking to yourself. And I say, from now on, say, I'm amazing. Everything I do is great. That's going to feel really phony to you. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to sit. But if you tell yourself, I really messed up. I'm terrible at everything. This is the worst. And then you challenge that thought and you say, okay, 
if I zoom back objectively, is this true? Am I terrible at everything? Did I really mess up that badly? And you start to get used to challenging your negative thoughts. You can work your way toward building up your sense of self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I was actually going to make this point as well. It's like those all go together so much. Like your self-esteem does come from taking little actions here or there, whether it is, you know, deciding on a new goal or actually making a small step in pursuit of something, or, you know, like you said, challenging your thought, that in itself is a major action that you weren't doing before. So that is progress that should be rewarded, you know, or at least like celebrated. And when we are talking about self-esteem, yes, you have like these little acts that you can like physically see that like reflect back to you that you do have self-esteem that you should like feel good in yourself. And that can help, you know, build your confidence. Um, but then your confidence like thrives in loving yourself and in like getting that support from other people. And that combination of all those things is what is going to fall back into your self-worth, but it does take, like, you do need to be able to see little steps of yourself, you know, making small changes or, you know, stepping up to the plate, like those little things really make a big difference. And you realizing, oh, I can do this. And a big piece of the puzzle for me was like learning that I could trust myself. Like before, you know, I was the kind of person who I I got good grades and I did all the things, but I still procrastinated or I still would, you know, I would self-sabotage in different ways. And so learning to really trust myself fully was a huge like antidote to my tendency to self-sabotage. And in being able to like actually build that self-trust, I realized like, no, I can rest. I can leave that sense of urgency behind because I'm, I know that I'm going to get to it. I know that I'm going to fulfill whatever duty, like I haven't shown up late. And if I have shown up late, it's been for a good reason. And if that has happened, no one has ever come at me saying that I'm like a terrible coach or a terrible, whatever X, Y, Z, because I had to do something for myself or take a step back. And in knowing that like I can rely on myself to get things done gives me the permission to rest in between. And that permission to rest gives me the sense that I'm prioritizing myself first. And that evidence then goes back to me saying I am worthy because I am already prioritizing myself. I am already showing myself and treating myself the way that someone with high self-worth would. And so it kind of becomes that feedback loop of evidence and thought and belief and that leap of faith that creates, you know, the evidence and it just keeps going back in a circle. But um, you can jump in it in any part of that circle and just, you know, continue that journey, you know, from there. Yeah, you we form these neural pathways, right? And so I think about it like a road or, yeah, like a road that I'm driving and I'm taking the same path and I'm treading the same ground and that like the rivets are getting deeper and deeper because that's the same road I'm tracing over, over and over again. And like you said, you get in there and you start interrupting and now I'm forming a whole new pathway. And now if I continue to do that over time, continue to interrupt those thoughts and redirect them, I'm, that's how I'm elevating and moving into the space of greater self-trust, of viewing myself differently, of valuing myself differently. It's literally changing the way that you think and the, the narratives and the patterns your brain falls into. A hundred percent. I love that. Uh, the road analogy is so good. Cause that like 
completely illustrates like that kind of autopilot sense that we have where you can almost let go of the wheel because the ruts are so deep. But then it's like, no, when you get back in there, take control of the wheel and start like putting some action and intention behind where you're going, you can really create a whole new path in life and experience for yourself. So I love that. In terms of like commitment or in terms of like romantic relationships, do you think there's anything else that South Asian women are you know, likely to do or conditioned to do that sticks out to you? There's so much. <laughs> yeah. There's so, so much. Um, where do I begin? I mean, let's start with the romantic relationships thread. I think it goes back to the piece of we stay in hard partnerships, even when they are harder than they should be. Like there is no barrier. There's no limit to when it's acceptable to leave. Well, there is. And it's only for very extreme situations. And even then you're going to get pushed and challenged and questioned about it. Right. And so there's, so there's that. And then there's the layer of that you even need a romantic relationship. It's not a companionship, like, you know, go and get a partner because it's nice to have someone to spend your life with. It's like, Go and get a partner because if you don't, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? When are you going to have babies? Like all of these things. Mm -hmm. And to a degree, certainly this extends to all women outside of the South Asian community, but there's no doubt that it is so much more deeply ingrained in our society. Does that start to get at mm -hmm. Absolutely. your question? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Turning this back to you, because I know like the general piece, we could just kind of go on forever, but what would you change in like your approach to a romantic commitment now? Like, is there anything externally you would change like with kind of the idea of we do look for harder partners? Like, do you have kind of a different checklist in terms of that? Or do you have like kind of an internal framework that's also changed? And if it's both, you can, you can talk about both as well. Yeah, so let's just really go there. So I don't know if we've talked if we've mentioned it on this episode yet that I am divorced as of December and separated as of like early last summer. So there are so many things I would change and I am so blessed to have that opportunity. Like I am so grateful to have another chance at it. Mm -hmm. And it also reminds me of, you know, like going back to the piece of we deal with hard situations, like in our society and culturally, men are allowed to be difficult. Men are given the free pass. You can talk to women how you want. You can treat them how you treat them. You can, you know, do whatever because you are a man. And so you win the lottery mm -hmm. and do whatever the heck you want. And the woman has to comply and the woman has to be understanding. Mm -hmm. And like forgiving. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Yeah. He's probably had a hard day at work. Blah, 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 blah. Like, name any excuse that would never work in the reverse, mm -hmm. right? And this is definitely changing, I would say, with our generation, but it's still slow. It's changing because, again, we have the means, we have the opportunity, thanks to the sacrifices of the people before. So I, I try not to both for my own sanity and just for accuracy, you know, completely paint all of so South Asian society as like backwards or patriarchal. Like, yes, okay, we have been. And like, it's been really terrible. And a lot of us are now dealing with it and we're breaking the generational cycles and it sucks. But 
thankful for the opportunity, understand that the people who came before us were living in a different time with it, with it more ingrained in them in survival mode. Like they were just at a different point again on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is my personal two cents. You can fight me on it, but I hope you won't. Um, so there is like this free pass, like you said, boys will be boys and it's very prevalent. And there's also this, this feeling, at least for me, where I had a lot of limiting beliefs activated because of, because we grow up with that philosophy that men are better than women. Mm-hmm. So even as a young professional educated woman born and raised in the U S I still thought that I'm not going to be able to provide for myself. I'm not going to be able to have a fulfilling life. I'm not going to be okay alone. Like all of these things that I have one by one refuted in my actions since then. And mm-hmm. like you said earlier, built the self-trust up with myself that I hundred percent can do all those things and I can be okay on my own. And really shedding the narrative that you need a man and that you need to put up with whatever kind of behavior to make a relationship work, right? And it took me a really long time to learn that. Like, it took me through our relationship, through our engagement, through our wedding. Like, it wasn't until much later that I finally said, okay, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And I no longer care what people will say. So one big way that I'll change how I approach relationships definitely going forward is extracting this burden of what will people say out of my whole freaking life. Just, you can take it back. I don't ever want it near me again because no one is living my life but me. Yes. No one. And so before I was kind of, I felt like I owed something to the people who were peeking in at my life because that's what I was taught, right? But people are going to talk no matter what. And I'm going to be sitting here day after day in my physical body, in my life, living the decisions I make. Mm -hmm. And so I cannot keep making decisions to satisfy other people. I also think like approaching it from a lens of this is not something I've mentioned before, but it's very relevant to this. Like there's a lot of pressure and you can possibly relate. There's a lot of pressure that um, you need to find someone of your cultural background, of your religion, of like, you know, all of these. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is not how I would measure a person going forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I did marry someone of my same religion, of my same cultural background. And that was not the compatibility piece that like glued us together and kept us together through it all. Like there were a lot of internal values that were misaligned. And so I think the approach I'm going to take now is one where I know myself a lot better. I've taken the time to get to know myself and what my non-negotiables are, which I wouldn't have been able to do before because I didn't have the self-worth to think that I deserved to own my deal breakers to think that I could have non-negotiables. I also went into it before with a scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. right? Like I need to find someone or I'm going to be alone forever. And so that's something I've changed now because I would rather be alone than self-sacrifice going back to my first core value. Mm -hmm. So that I think sets people up to go into more of a partnership, which is what I want. 
right? I'm not going to find a partner because I need them. I would like to find a partner who I want to be with, who complements my life and whose life I can complement and add value to. Kind of like you were saying earlier about being able to both receive and give. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've rambled. No, no, not at all. I was like soaking it all in. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it was great. Um, I So what you were saying about like how, you know, you kind of going along with like the lack mindset, but also like the idea of like relationships having to be hard or they have to meet these standards, but you know, they don't necessarily like the community doesn't see if they're aligned in terms of values. They just kind of see the outside and something that I feel like is interesting is kind of talking about like the survival mode as well of like our previous like generations. There's do we have an example of like healthy and fun relationships? And, you know, I mean, my parents had like a love marriage, quote unquote, or, and, you know, I have examples of that in my life along with, you know, arranged marriages that are healthy and unhealthy, but it's like, how many examples do we really have of like Indian couples that like genuinely love each other and have so much fun together. And, you know, because there is that core idea of self-sacrifice and it's not just for women, it's for the men too. It's almost like the family unit has to sacrifice as a whole. And like, it's not in the same ways. The men aren't necessarily forced to sacrifice within the household, but a lot of these men are forced to sacrifice for capitalism or for, you know, a job, et cetera. But it's like, even in that relationship dynamic, I see the same sacrifice. It's like, oh, well, I don't really like everything about her, or I don't really like the way that she talks to me, or I don't like X, Y, and C about our relationship dynamic, but I'm not going to say anything because like, that's just part of being in a relationship. Marriage is hard. And it's that same idea of like, we don't really know where to draw the line between like, yes, we have ups and downs. And when is it actually unacceptable? Or when do I trust my intuition in terms of a deal breaker, et cetera. And like, I think there are so many gray areas, especially because it's hard for someone to look at a relationship as a third party, but then it's also so confusing when you're in it because it's hard to really look at it objectively, you know, because there's so many emotions and things kind of brought together. But I just, I think that's all so interesting. And I think whoever is like listening to this are not really sure about their journey in terms of like a romantic relationship or a commitment, like identify some healthy, positive couples that you want to be like, or that you want to, that you value, whether they're of your culture or not, because there have been some examples of like, even like the most random couples, like Kristen Bell and like Dax Shepard, like I can't relate to like really any part of any, either of their lives at all, but I love their dynamic and their dynamic reminds me of me and my partner and the way that they, you know, just so it's like, you can find examples or people out there that reflect what you want back to you. And like, that's what you should focus on more than, you know, just what is my immediate circle saying, or what does people, what do people think that I should have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few things on that. Yeah, we don't really grow up with very many examples of healthy, not by South Asian standards, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like, which is more about tolerating than health of a relationship, right? It's how much can you really tolerate? But we don't really grow up with as many examples. I know I'm speaking generically here um, of healthy relationships. We also don't grow up with many examples of, like you said, bad relationships that end, right? We just see a lot of relationships that are going on and on and on in whatever kind of way, like both people are maybe putting up with each other. Um, 
I'm speaking like really broad strokes here because this may not be every single person's experience, but that's the thing that is true is that we don't express discontent. We don't get divorced. You suck it up and you deal with it. And so it does become really hard to know where the line is when you grow up thinking, you know, what's good is tolerance. How high is my tolerance? How much can I take? And it's not until you break out of that and like you said, find examples of healthy relationships and learn what we kind of have to teach ourselves, like what is healthy behavior in a relationship and what is not, and not by South Asian standards, sorry, but no, you know, because that is, that is not setting folks up for a fulfilling life. If we take it at a very like general level. The other thing I want to say is it's such a fine line too. I agree. Like let's find relationships that are healthy and that we can learn from, but don't become so invested in them because you'd never really know what's going on behind closed doors. And if that relationship falls apart, and if that was your main grounding point of like, this is a healthy relationship, well, now what are you going to do? And I don't know if you follow Rachel Hollis, Rachel and Dave Hollis. I, yeah, I know her a little bit. I don't, I don't like follow her. Yeah. So because this is a public figure, I will bring it up. I don't like, you know, talking behind people's back, but this is a public figure who has put her, um, information out there. They've made this announcement and basically she and her husband were in business together, lived together. She's an author. She wrote girl, wash your face and, um, girl, stop apologizing those kinds of books. And they also had a podcast about relationships, literally about their marriage, how to make relationships work, how they, you know, problems they were facing in their marriage and how they got through them. And they recently announced that they're getting a divorce. And a lot of people, if you go to the comments, which how could you not when you see a post like that, (laughs) are like, what the heck is going on here? You know, you had this relationship podcast where you're giving us relationship advice and now you're broken up. And personally, you know, while they were in a relationship, they learned lessons. They shared those lessons. I'm sure those lessons helped people personally. I don't think those are invalidated Mm -hmm. and they're human and they're allowed to do what they need to do. And if you have so invested yourself, your stake in the ground is you want that relationship exactly. They're doing all the right things and then they get divorced and they fall apart. Then where are you? And so it comes back to this idea of getting to know your own values, setting your own standards for yourself, learning those. Yes. Learn what those, you know, should be, what are healthy examples of this model it off of that, right? Because we need a place to learn from. We need a place to model this off of, but don't let that be your cut and dry example. Adapt mm-hmm. it for yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's never going to be the, the exact same as anyone else's experience. I don't know if you've ever seen like the real, that talk show or whatever. It's like a woman of color talk show, basically. I don't really um, follow it that closely, but I found it recently. And one of the ladies on there is Jeannie Mai and she got divorced. And so I was watching a lot of the clips where she's talking about her divorce, et cetera. And she was talking about, you know, marriage advice. And she was like, some of the best advice I actually have gotten even through that marriage was 
advice from other people who were divorced because, and she's like, I still give like really good relationship advice, but the reason is like, I can tell you what to avoid, or I can tell you signs that I saw that led me to get my divorce or not even signs about the other person, but maybe behavioral things about yourself or patterns of thinking that kind of got you to that point. And so I think that's so huge. Like a, if you are getting divorced, it still means that you're choosing yourself. And so there is still a lesson of worth and validity to be learned there about. And second of all, you can still learn a lot of healthy, like sometimes it takes a healthy relationship to break up. How many relationships do we know where it's like, yeah, you can say that you've been together for 30 years, but if those 30 years are miserable, I don't want to be like you. You know what I mean? And it's that same kind of idea of like sacrifice and martyrdom, like the number doesn't mean anything. I don't care if you're miserable. I'd, I'd rather know what made you happy. Um, so that was just something that I wanted to add. But then also when you were talking about, um, how we don't see a lot of communication like within our examples of relationships or even like the homes that we grew up in like we yeah we, we need to see more examples of communication in relationships because like you were saying we we're taught to tolerate right and so we're taught to just take and take and take and then you know one day men are allowed to explode. Women might not necessarily be so allowed to do that, but, or so then like they express their anger and passive aggressiveness or whatever. And, but it's like, if we are given the space to observe communication and practice communication, that communication is what gives you the avenue for support. And if you're not having those conversations to say, this is what sucks for me, or this is what's really hard for me when you do this, or, or this is a place in an area in my life where I need extra support. If you're not communicating that, then there's no way that anyone can help you. And so you're blocking your ability to receive that because you're not even putting it out there that you need it. And it's okay to need that. We all need support in some way or another. And like, if a friend came to you and said, I need your help, like you would be kind of happy that they need you or that they thought about you, or you'd be like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to step up to the plate. What do you need from me? So it's like, why don't we allow other people to do that for ourselves? Like, it's okay to, it doesn't make you a burden or it doesn't make you any like less valuable because you need help sometimes, you know? And in, in fact, that actually strengthens your bond. If someone comes to you and says, Hey, could you please help me with this? And it's a friend and it's like a reasonable ask or whatever, then like you would probably feel closer with that person after that happened. So think about what you would do if a friend was bringing that same situation to you and realize that like you're deserving of that. And a big way that you can get, you know, that support is just by communicating and, and that's okay to do that. Like it seems so simple, but it like when you're in that place, it seems like there's no way that you, you it seems like the answers aren't there, but it's so simple as to just ask for it and to realize that it's okay to do that. Yeah. And it, it might just be sometimes a matter of who do you ask that help from, right? Because, and that's why I was like, I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to talk about this because I didn't know who to ask for help from. Like, you know, any of the, you know, any of our relatives who were older were going to give us all the reasons that they knew that we should still stay together and make it work and all those things. And I had already gotten to a point of you know, putting years into this, trying to make something out of it before I woke up to this is not a healthy relationship. And there wasn't anyone openly talking about it in my community who I felt like, okay, let me go to them and let me ask them, or at least no one who I felt wouldn't judge me. And right, mm -hmm. like that also goes into my own projections of this person's going to judge me because I've grown up thinking that everyone is judging everyone else. So 
yeah, I think it's a combination of being able to ask for help. And if you're listening and you're in the opposite position, being a safe space for someone to come to, to ask for help. And part of the way you do that is you share your thoughts, you share your opinions and your beliefs and your messaging. It's similar to Black Lives Matter, right? People who were silent throughout that, folks don't know where you stand. So you're not necessarily a safe space. Whereas if you're sharing your opinion, if you're standing out against what you believe is wrong, then someone knows, okay, you're on my side or you're not. And so you can also send out signals of, you know, I am a safe person that someone could come and talk to. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. That's so good. And it, speaking of Black Lives Matter, that just kind of reminds me of like, even setting up pronouns. Like if you say like my name, whatever, and then you say your pronouns, that does the same thing, gives a space for someone else to say their pronouns who might not be cis or whatever. Um, And so that, like, yeah, it is that simple act of, you know, providing that for someone. And when you do, then that person can, it starts that relationship of you then being able to go to that same person, even if it is just a friend and saying like, hey, like, you know, I, I need X, Y, and Z, or can you talk about this with me? Or can I vent to you, etc. And be respectful of their boundaries, just like you wish that they are respectful of yours. So even if you go to someone and you ask, hey, do you have like the emotional bandwidth to listen to me vent. And by doing that, you're respecting their boundaries, but you're also giving yourself like that, you're creating that space where you don't feel like a burden and you don't feel like you're just coming out of nowhere, like unleashing on someone about something that happened to you, you know? I'm a huge proponent of that. I love that you just said that of going to someone and saying, hey, I need to vent. Are you, can you hold space for me right now? Like, I need to really talk about this right now is that something you can take on at the moment and giving them an opportunity to say no. And then that's not your person you bent to. That's so important. Mm-hmm. Yes. And a last like quick tip I wanted to say is just when, if you feel like you, there's really not a single soul, not a single person that you can talk to or anything like I always do this. And I know a lot of people are like, Whoa, that's weird. But I'm, I just pull out my phone and I just like record a video of me like talking and it's not about, I'm never going to watch it again. Or if I do, like, it's not, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to send it to anyone. I could even delete it right after I record it. But if I just need to vent, like it, it helps you get to that next level. And I was just talking about someone with this because they were like, I constantly have like the same four thoughts and I'm just stuck in like this thought rut, kind of like that road, that path that you were talking about, where it's just like that cycle. And I'm like, take a moment to like write it out or, or speak it out, you know, because if you can, like, our minds can get used to thinking the same thing over and over and over again. But if you're writing out a page or writing in your journal, you're not going to write the same sentence over and over and over again and not feel crazy at some point if you're not doing it intentionally. You know what I mean? And so speaking it or writing it out gives your brain that space to say, okay, this sucks and this sucks and this sucks and this is what I'm complaining about. What can I do now? Or what's the next step? What, what can I unlock in this thought process? Or what can I do to dive in deeper to figure out why I'm feeling this way? Or when I started getting passive aggressive towards the situation or whatever the the case may be. And so those little tools kind of can help you like unlock that next step of your thought process. And like when I'm journaling, sometimes I like don't even know the words are coming out of me. It's like almost subconscious because I'm just letting it flow. And that can really uh, like allow me to see where it's all coming from. So if you feel like there's no one or you feel like it's too private, then you can still explore like communication, you can just do it in a safer space, which is housed, you know, in your journal or in your phone or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm a big, big fan of being there for yourself. 
Mm-hmm. 100%. And yeah, like be, being the, the content or being the person you want to see, that doesn't have to just pertain to creating Instagram or being a business. It can just be, you know, be, being what you want to see in terms of a friend to yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. And that's such an easy jumping off point too, for a lot of people who aren't used to just being there for yourself in a meta kind of way. Like what would you say to a friend right now or to someone you deeply loved and cared about and turn that to yourself? Yes. Well, honestly, thank you so, so much for joining me. Like I loved talking about this with you and I feel like we can just go back and forth in so many different like spaces. I don't know. I can just relate to you a lot. (laughs) Likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. Absolutely. Um, So where can people find you if they want to find you or your podcast? Yeah. So the podcast is called The Self-Worth Edit and it's on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on Google Podcasts, Stitchers, literally wherever you can find your podcast, it's there. And I am at The Self-Worth Edit on Instagram and I'm fairly active there. Thank you again to Sheen for joining me on this episode of Is It Worth It? The Self-Worth Podcast. She was such an incredible guest. And if you want to learn more about her story and listen to her podcast, the links to do so are in the show notes down below. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app or sharing it with someone who you think would benefit from it. If you'd like to schedule one-on-one self-worth coaching, group coaching, or enroll in one of my online courses, visit link tr.ee slash Betty grew up. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash B-E-T-I grew up. Thanks so much for listening and happy healing.